This morning we're going to continue our uh, summer series of uh, 316 summer. We're going to look at a uh, verse, 316 verse, and uh, boy, I'm going to be up front with you. Uh, it's not one of those verses that's going to make you feel happy. You know, it's not one of those verses that you're just going to say, oh, praise God, isn't that great, and make you feel warm and fuzzy and wonderful and all that good stuff. No, you know, the Scripture tells the whole truth about life. And uh, Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He just lays out the truth. Today we're going to look at one of those verses that just lays out the truth. But in that truth, we'll discover the difference in life around commitment, passion, a willingness to sacrifice, and faith. Here's the, uh, the title and uh, the verse for the day. It's a 316 summer. Uh, it's time to heat up your life. And the verse is out of Revelation 3. But since you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Okay, there it is. Anybody feel warm and fuzzy? <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. Yeah. Um, Here's what's going on. This is in the book of Revelation, and John of Patmos is, is writing and speaking for Jesus. It's the section of Revelations where, where Jesus in the Spirit has come to John and said, Look, you need to bring a word to seven churches. So he's talking to people who are in the faith. So if you're not in the faith this morning yet, you know, be patient, glean what you can this morning. But the word here that uh, John is speaking is directed toward the church. Now, what's interesting is that in this section of Revelation, uh, John, through the Holy Spirit, speaks for Jesus, and he speaks to these seven churches, and it's like he sends them seven postcards. He just sends each one of these church a little a postcard, a little word for them uh, that they need to take seriously and learn learn from. What's interesting is so far he's gone through these postcards and speaking to these churches. And so far, as he speaks to six of the churches, he at least finds something good to say about those churches. And then he challenges them with truth. But at least as he's spoken to six of these churches, he's found something going good in that church. Uh, and then he speaks kind of a harsh and challenging word to them. Unfortunately, the word that we get this morning is to the church at Laodicea, the seventh of the churches he speaks to. And unfortunately, when you look at what he sends in this postcard, he doesn't find one good thing to say. He doesn't find one good thing to say about the church in Laodicea. But he certainly has something to say. That's where we start this morning. First thing you need to understand as we look at Revelation 3.16, is that God's got something to say about your life. He has a word for you. He's got something to say uh, that will give direction to your life. If you look at verse 14, verse 14 says, This is what you must write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Notice the word must there. This has got to be said. What Jesus is going to speak to this church in Laodicea may not be what they want to hear, but it's something that has to be said. Not all that we get from the Scripture is going to make us feel good. Not everything we get is going to make us feel warm, positive, and fuzzy, and all that great stuff. But everything we get from the Scripture is stuff that we have to hear. And it is a word that comes to us with authority. 
Jesus authenticates himself in the rest of the 14th verse. He gives us kind of his credentials for his ability to speak this word. So as you sit here this morning, recognize that the word you're going to get doesn't come from just anybody. See, there's lots of folks out there in the word in the world who are going to tell you all kinds of philosophies and wisdoms and what they think and what you ought to do. And all. The word that you get this morning is not coming from just anybody. Jesus defines himself this way. He says, I am the one called Amen. Anybody use that word before? Amen. Right? When do you usually use that word? Very end of your prayer, right? You get praying, 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 and you end it all up and you say, Amen. It's like the final word. Yes, it shall be so. That's what it means. Yes, absolutely. It shall be so. It is the authenticating final word on things. Jesus is saying the word he brings to the church in Laodicea is not just any word. This is the final word. You can trust it. It is the final word. It's kind of like that, uh, that game show where, you know, want to be a millionaire or whatever it is. And, you know, they always give the answer and then they question him and say, is that your final answer? And they say, yes, final answer. Right? Yeah. It's like Jesus saying, look, final word. Final, what you're going to hear this morning is the authority of the final word. And he gives you even more credentials beyond that when he says, I am the faithful and true witness. What you're going to get is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. What he speaks is the final word, and it is the absolute truth above anything else you will hear from anywhere else in the rest of the world. And if you need to have some authentication of that, he says, remember the source of God's creation. He is the source of God's... The word that he speaks is so true and so powerful that in the beginning of time, with one word, he created all that is. That's a pretty good word. The word that Jesus speaks to the church in Laodicea is absolute truth. And he wraps it up in verse 14 by saying, So, listen to what I say. Bless you. Listen to what I say. See, I was listening. Listen to what I say, right? You think Jesus thinks this is important? Sounds that way, doesn't it? I mean, he's setting up what, what we're going to hear in verse 16. He's setting up, look, understand the authority from which I speak. I am the final word. I'm the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. My word created all that is, so please, please, listen. Listen to what I say. Now, I doubt very much if the church in Laodicea was really excited when they got the letter from John to find out that they were one of the seven churches on the list. They probably weren't too happy with that, and you may not be real happy with what you hear this morning. The problem is, because of the one who speaks it, you've got to listen. You've got to listen to what he has to say. Ready? The first thing he would say to you this morning is simply this. Apathy deceives. Apathy deceives. Look at verse 15. He says, I know everything you have done. Jesus is not blind to your life. He knows everything, the sum total of what's gone on, is going on, and will go on in your life. 
When he looks at the church of Laodicea, he knows the sum total of all of their actions or the lack of their actions. And as he looks at the church in Laodicea, he looks with sadness upon them because he sees apathy. It's in the rest of the verse. I know everything you have done, and you are not cold or hot. I wish you were one or the other. What's their problem? They're not cold. They're not hot. They are apathetic, <laughs> right? And he'll define it as lukewarm. Yeah, they're apathetic. They're not committed. They have no passion. They're just apathetic. They're just walking through life. They're just doing life. They're just doing the church. They're just going through another day. They're just letting life unfold. They're just apathetic. Then comes our key verse, 316. And he defines it even more clearly. He says, But since you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, the folks at Laodicea could understand very clearly what he was saying here when he described them as lukewarm. See, here's the problem for Laodicea. Laodicea was about 100 miles east of Ephesus. It was right on a trade route that the Romans had built inland toward Asia. It was in a fertile valley. There were a couple other big cities nearby, Colossae being one of them. And they were right in the center of all the activity that was going on in that region. The only one problem Laodicea had is they had no water. They had no water. They had no source of water. So here they are in this perfect spot on this wonderful tray route with all this opportunity surrounding them, and they had no water. So the solution was to build aqueducts that ran for six miles, six miles to the north and six miles to the south. North of them were, were, was a series of hot springs. So they went six miles north, and they tapped into the hot springs with the aqueduct, and they brought the water six miles south. To the south of them was an abundance of cold springs. They went to the cold springs, and they tapped into those, and they brought the water six miles to Laodicea. What happens to hot water when it travels six miles? It cools down. What happens to the cold water when it travels six miles? It warms up. And when you're all done, what do you got? Lukewarm. Boy, I'll tell you, there's nothing like a glass of good old lukewarm water on a hot day, right? You see, God is describing the apathy of Laodicea. They are just letting life go and they're missing it. It's lukewarm. It's not hot. It's not cold. It's just lukewarm. And he looks at that and says, if that's the way you are in life, you're missing it. You're missing it so bad that I would just as soon spit you out of my mouth. Now, that's a polite way of saying it. If you go back to the Greek and you really get into the word, what he's really saying there is, I would just as soon vomit you out of my mouth. That's what he's saying. 
Jesus is looking at the church of Laodicea, and he's looking at the sum total of their life and saying, you know what? You guys are wasting life so bad that it just makes me sick. That's what he's saying. You guys are wasting life so bad, it just makes me sick. Then he hits them with where their apathy lies and why apathy has taken over their life. And i got to warn you, this hits close to home. You ready? Verse 17. You claim to be rich and successful and to have everything you need. (laughs) What about the people in Laodicea? What are they? Rich and successful. Sound good? And they were. The people in Laodicea were absolutely rich and successful as the world defines it. You see, they weren't just on this trade route, but they were the absolute center of the banking world for that whole region. All the money flowed through Laodicea. They were absolutely rich. They were so rich that in A.D. 17, a huge earthquake wiped out the entire town, turned the entire town into rubble. The government came and said, Oh, Laodiceans, we will help you. We will give you support to rebuild your city. You know what the Laodiceans said? Don't need it. We don't need it. We got enough cash to rebuild the city all on our own. Can you imagine if New Orleans, after Katrina, would have come to the rest of the United States and said, Hey, thanks for the offer, guys, but we are so rich, we don't need it. That's exactly what the Laodiceans did. They were so wealthy. And they had industry. They had jobs. They were the place, if you wanted to get black wool, they were the place to go. They exported black wool all over the then-known world. They were the center of black wool industry. And beyond that, they were also the center of medicine. They had a school of medicine there that was known throughout the world. They were like the Mayo Clinic of that region. And they were especially known for an eye ointment that was said to be able to cure absolutely any eye disease you might have. They were the banking industry, They were the center of the black wool industry, and they had a school of medicine that was known throughout the region. They were rich, and they were successful. And look what Jesus says about them. But you don't know how bad off you are. Do you see that? You see, he looks at their wealth and their success and their apathy, and says, I don't care how much ointment you put on your eyes, you don't see it. You don't understand what life is really about. You are pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. See, their apathy came because they loved the things of the world more than they loved Christ. They loved the things of the world more than they loved the victory that Jesus Christ brings to life. 
Their apathy came because they were ready to live life in the world and let Jesus simply be one of the pieces on the smorgasbord, one of the opportunities that all the world gave them in terms of opportunities, that Jesus, the church, the mission, the passion could just be another place in life. And Jesus looks at them, remember our verse, and sees the apathy because they are owned by the world and says, that just makes me sick. That just makes me sick. Why? Because Jesus understands that when you commit your life to him, when you have the commitment and the passion and the willingness to sacrifice and the faith in Jesus Christ, then life is empowered. Then life really takes off. In the year 1519, um, the Spanish uh, emperor sent Cortez to uh, the New World. Cortez showed up in Mexico and he brought 600 men uh, with him. And uh, that was a small force compared to the natives, the Aztecs and others who were already there. And yet, even though others had been there and others had tried and always defeated and always got back on their ships and ran, Cortez, with his 600 men, came and conquered the region. You've got to step back and say, now, how come Cortez, with 600 men, could show up and conquer the region when others tried and got in their ships and went back? Simple answer. Cortez understood the meaning of of commitment. When Cortez landed his 600 troops on the shore, you know what he instructed the other guys to do? Burn the ships. Burn the ships. That's commitment. You leave behind all the unimportant stuff and you focus on what's really important, what's worth sacrificing for. Jesus calls us to that kind of commitment. Not for himself, but for us. Look what he says in verse 18. Buy your gold from me. It has been refined in a fire, and it will make you what? Rich! You want to be rich? You've got to understand Wealth is found in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you this. When you're sitting down with a doctor and he's explaining to you the challenges that you're going to face in your life because disease has hit your body, it won't matter one bit, bit how many square feet your house is. It won't measure up. When you're facing the challenges because your son or your daughter is going through some tremendous difficulty in their life, and it is a matter of life and death on all kinds of levels, it won't matter how new your car is. When you're facing the challenges that life is going to throw at you that's going to really step, make you step back and take a deep breath, it won't matter what your bank account is. But it will matter whether you know the strength and the compassion and the richness 
of life with Jesus Christ. That is success and wealth beyond measure. He says, Buy white clothes from me. Wear them and you can cover up your shameful nakedness. Buy medicine for your eyes so that you will be able to see. You see, He looks at our lives and He sees what our lives can become. And He invites us to see the same thing when we make that commitment, when we commit ourselves, when we discover the passion, when we discover the sacrifice and the faith that comes in knowing Jesus Christ. It's for our good that He gives this word. Look at verse 19. I correct and punish everyone I what? You see, he's given us a hard word in 3.16, not just to flex his muscles, be big guy on campus. He's given us a hard word because he loves us. He loves you. He sees what your life can become. And he invites you to discover it by making that commitment with him. He says, so make up your minds to turn away from your sins. Story goes that uh, there was a preacher in the 19th century in Scandinavia who uh, on a Sunday morning just before the service was supposed to start uh, found out that the uh, king was going to come and worship with him that morning. And so, man, he was so excited about the idea that the king was going to come and uh, worship with them that he totally threw out his whole sermon for the morning. He just totally threw it out, and he quickly redrafted uh, a whole new message. And in the message, he just talked again and again about how great the king was, right? How great the king of their country was. Service went by, it ended, he thought it was great, he thought he was really in with the king, that everything would be great, the king left. A few days later, a giant box showed up, delivered to the church. It was from the king. And the preacher thought, wow, I must have really made a good impression. The king sent me a present. Quickly, he opened up the box, and inside the box, he discovered a crucifix. Now, he's a little puzzled about that, because he said, we got all kinds of crucifixes around here. Why is the king sending another crucifix. As he looked inside the crate, he also saw a letter, and on the letter was the royal seal. With excitement, he opened up the letter. The letter contained the king's instructions for the placement of the crucifix in the church. It was to go on the western wall of the church, so that as the preacher stood in his pulpit preaching, he would always be reminded who the true king really is. Isn't that great? That's what we need to remember. Who the true king really is. And Jesus speaks to the church in Laodicea and says, Make up your minds who the real king is and what it really means to be rich. And he says in verse 20, Listen. Just just listen. If you haven't listened yet this morning, listen, will you? Listen to one of the most important things you can ever hear in your life. 
He says, I stand and knock at your door. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will eat together. Did you hear that? Jesus Christ wants nothing more than to come into your life and make it everything it can become. And when you face the challenges, Jesus Christ wants nothing more than to be right there in the midst of it with you. And when you understand that commitment, you will understand a victory that goes beyond this world. The commitment is the victory. Look what he says in verse 21. Everyone who wins the victory will sit with me on my throne just as I won the victory and sat with my Father on his throne. Look what's happening. Jesus is saying, look, here's the deal. You understand this commitment. You understand the passion of what it means to have me in your life. The willingness to sacrifice the faith that it requires. You have that. I will come and I will go through anything you go through. I will be in the midst of everything you face. And I will give you my seat. I will give you my seat. The seat of the throne of the grace and the power of God in the universe. You will sit with me. Not only does he say he will come and sit wherever we are, go through whatever we go through, but he will come and share with us ultimately the victory of sitting at the very throne of God. He offers us the incredible opportunity for a life that is so rich it goes beyond this world. He wraps it up with this last appeal. If you have ears, everybody check. If you have ears, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I want you to notice something in that verse. See that last word there? Is it singular or plural? Plural. You see, he doesn't bring this word just to that church in Laodicea. He brings that word to us as well. I know some of you are facing difficulties. I know some of you are facing challenges. I know some of you are in the midst of decisions over your life. Understand this morning that Jesus Christ offers you His presence. And He offers you His victory. And He offers you a wealth and a richness that goes beyond this world.